welcome to Found in Translation, a weekly-ish exploration of one fellow's translation of the Christian scriptures, one chapter at a time. I'm Brandon Rhodes, and across the internet for me is the translator himself, Brandon Johnson. Hi. Hey, how's your week? How you doing, man? Oh, okay. Yeah, it's kind of uh, some tricky stuff at work with funding mm-hmm. and that kind of stuff. So it's uh, a little heavy at times, but we're doing all right. Yeah. How about you? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm out in South Dakota as of this recording, uh, helping my fiance get her house ready for sale. So I've only been out this way in the winter before. So it's really nice to see it when it's pretty. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's a very different landscape than uh, Oregon. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, yeah, it reminds me a bit more of like Southern Oregon, where things can be just a bit more roly-poly and mm-hmm. less forest and more horse hill kind of feel. Yeah. So, yeah, that's yeah. that's me. Well, we are talking about Matthew chapter four. So, listeners, if you have not had a chance to read Brandon's translation, as always, I encourage you to stop listening to me right now. Hit pause and uh, read through the translation. There's a link in the show notes for it. And if you are a supporter of the show, you will also have comment access. So feel free to interact with people there. Uh, And whether or not you have that comment ability, you can also check out the footnotes, uh, which go into depth about some of the translation and literary decisions Brandon made along the way. So go ahead and give it a read. Hey, welcome back from the wilderness. Let's get started. Let's start actually with, well, the wilderness. Uh, We talked a little bit about this last week, but I see in your footnote that we often think of this story of Jesus being tempted as taking place, you know, he's on a rock somewhere or, you know, slogging. I picture him sort of slogging through the deserts um with the severity of eternity in his eyes and then he meets this That's intense yeah, yeah. well yeah and, <laughs> uh but you say yeah that, that that's not the only way to hear that that locational cue can you say more mm-hmm. about that yeah yeah i think i must have some image from a children's storybook bible or something in my mind it's just i always just see the picture of him sitting on a very nicely rounded rock just that's that's what I have in my mind. Um, so, like Luke Skywalker at the end of yeah. The Last Jedi. So I have the kids yeah. version. You have the severity of eternity in his eyes version. You know. Yes. <laughs> uh, I mean, eternity slash dehydration. Uh, yeah. But yeah, the, I mean, I think we talked a little bit last time. The word for wilderness is literally the Greek word wilderness, desert, that kind of just like undeveloped area of land kind Mm -hmm. of a word um but it was also a specific undeveloped area of land so it's not just a wilderness it's the wilderness um and -hmm. which if you can look at a map if you you just do a google search of like new testament bible lands like map or whatever and it'll show you it's it's like this there's a strip of land on the west western side of the dead sea that's known as the wilderness or the mm-hmm. wilderness of Judea. And there's a, a particular place in that wider area known as Qumran, this, a city there, which if you're at all familiar with archaeological uh, events in the history of biblical <laughs> literature, uh, and so the, there's a huge collection of scrolls found um, by the Qumran near the Dead Sea, that was really exciting archaeological finds in the 1940s that was much older scrolls, much older documents than anything that we had up to that point. Um, so it was mm-hmm. really exciting. But it all came from this one monastic Jewish community known as the Essenes that had their community located there at, at, at Qumran. Um, and Qumran happens to be in the wilderness. Yeah, and so some people think that like John the Baptist may have been deeply formed there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because they were they were active at this time in history mm-hmm. for sure, and they were kind of speaking in the similar ways as 
John did for them. It was like the great mm-hmm. cataclysm is around the corner. We're the only pure ones. Uh, everybody else is going to Gehenna in a handbasket. And uh, John's like, I can roll with that. Let's do this. Uh, <laughs> yeah. And so if he, if Jesus is coming right out of this immersion dipping story uh, experience with his cousin, that's a fast, I'd never considered the possibility that he may have headed out that way. Yeah, I mean, it's it's within the realm of possibility for sure. There's nothing here that explicitly says it other than the clue yeah. of the wilderness. But, mm-hmm. yeah. Yeah, and even then the other, the other like sort of intonations or allusions to that would be just that the wilderness is, Jesus went beyond the boundaries. Jesus sought mm-hmm. God outside the lines of where, where they understood God to be in some sense. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, there was a definitely a strong like reform push from the Essenes. Like uh, we think of Pharisees as being uh, legalistic, being really strict, and like having a lot of rules and stuff, which is one of the things that could have been happening. But that's not what it made you a Pharisee. They were mm-hmm. the ones that were trying to be really faithful to the scriptures mm-hmm. and to living in a in a way that honored God. And um, but the Essenes kind of even took it even more so. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Instead of trying to get everybody to toe the line as community organizers, basically like the Pharisees were, they were like, mm-hmm. ah, we're going to be over here. We're going to be a bit more, um, Bhagwan <laughs> about yeah. it. Yeah. More like monks kind of withdrawing and like, you know, if you want to do this thing where we're honoring the ways of God, come join us, but we're doing our own thing. Yeah. Yeah. The other thing that bridges these two stories is this little word you put in there. Um, you said that same life breath. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I put that life breath instead of the life breath or the spirit. Um, yeah, it was really my, we have these numbers dividing chapters and verses in our Bible that did not exist for hundreds of years after it was written. Yeah, that's um, there just for us nerds. Yeah, and... I think be like, even for me, like I'm going through this and I think, okay, I'm going to start reading where it has the big number four on it. Like mm-hmm. that's, but in you, they're not even pages. This is a scroll. This is all one block of text for the entire book. Mm-hmm. Um, and so having that kind of artificial separation there breaks it up in a way that does more to hide the connections and the meaning than help. Um, mm-hmm. but, it, but it's a good way to reference. This is what I'm looking at right now. And if I want to tell you how to look at what I'm looking at, you know, then it's nice and convenient, but yeah. Um, well, yeah. Putting the word that life breath was try to try to be a nod of like, this is continuing from the last paragraph. This is not an entirely separate unrelated story. It also captures like for me, um, it's emphasizing it like the same spirit, the same life breath that, uh, landed on Jesus as he emerged out of the Jordan and, and was part of this, you know, profound experience of hearing the um, kind of divine benediction. It's the same voice or it's the same, it's same life breath, excuse me, Mm -hmm. that said, go out there and get dehydrated (laughs) in pursuit of the divine. (laughs) Um, Like this moment of intimacy and this moment of like parchedness. So yeah. I don't know if the Greek is flexible enough for you to have that instead of the, uh, but I like the, I appreciate the way in which it. Yeah. And, and it depends on like your kind of um, approach to translation. Like, is it a word for word, very strict? And then you yes. get something like the new American standard Bible um, mm-hmm. translation. That's like very technically correct, but probably not actually accurate if we're thinking in terms of helping a reader understand what the writer was trying to say yeah it's possible Um, that's one of the lessons of this project is it's possible to be accurate but not faithful and that's Mm -hmm. that's a hard nuance you can be uh actually betraying the text by Mm -hmm. being too meticulous in this like it's a prayerful artful task to translate right yeah it's languages are not codes that have a clean one-to-one cipher Um, Mm -hmm. can't just uh, get like the bible decoder ring and 
Yeah, like a really <laughs> simple example from English to Spanish is if I want to say, I like coffee, but I want to say mm -hmm. that in Spanish, there's there's not actually a way to do that super literally. Um, hmm. How I would say that would be me gusta café, which if I were to go backwards from Spanish and English, super weirdly literally would be coffee pleases me. Hmm. Um, I can't. But I would never translate it that way if I were translating me gusta café into English, because that's not mm -hmm. what we say in English. So you've got three different words for this character, this presence, this perception that uh -huh. Jesus has during this story. Um, let's flow through all of them here. Um, sure. instead, of one, instead of one by one, you've got false accuser, instigator, and adversary. Yes. Yeah, this one really uh, pulled all the stops on on uh, what we tr traditionally think of as Satan, the devil. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Used, uses all the words all at once here. They're just missing like snake. You know? Yeah. Yeah. That's about it. Um, yeah. And they're all different words in the Greek, which is why I did them differently in English. Yeah. The false accuser is the first one that shows up. Um, and that's the one that's traditionally devil, which is taking yeah, English letters to whatever, you know, trail of languages back into history, um, mm -hmm. to the, back to the Greek diabolon. So if you, if you know the word diablo is Spanish for mm -hmm. devil, it's, that's where it comes from. And, but I, I really find that if we just go with devil or Satan, like, again, mm -hmm. like these is, have become religious technical terms. They're just like, we think we know what we mean. Picture like a guy with uh, a pitchfork and horns and red skin and like goat's legs. And like, <laughs> I think the Ju Jewish readers here would have gone, what? are you on what are you even talking about yeah um it has nothing to do with that um mm -hmm. yeah but it was so i i really think it's important to translate the words and not just put them in english letters mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, so that's essentially uh diabolon is an accuser but not just uh someone making the accusation but specifically it's like slandering it's a false accusation it's trying to shame the someone mm -hmm. uh, with false information um and that's important to this story mm -hmm. that that what is being spoken to jesus throughout this whole story is not true uh there's mm -hmm. there there is Truth in it. I mean, it's it's even quoting scriptures, but it's yeah, it's using them in ways that are not faithful to what they actually mean, what their intent is, mm -hmm. and it can't be trusted. Is is the whole point here? And when we just translate it to the devil, we're mm -hmm. we're just missing like <laughs> yeah. the author is trying to tell you something, and instead, when we say devil, it's like we immediately think of the pitchfork guy or uh, yeah. And it just becomes this showdown between these two cosmic forces of, of good this, and evil and like, ha good wins because eat it sucker. Like it's yeah. Yeah. Like we get to feel good about our side being victorious. And it's like, yeah, no, there's a lot more going <laughs> and on. Jesus here. did his Bible memorizations. And therefore yeah. this is, yeah. this is a story actually about why you should do Bible. Yeah. On his chart growing <laughs> up right. and Jesus was doing his yeah. sword drills. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. Um, which, yeah, it, it just totally misses the point. And even, even like, honestly, that sense of like, I can feel pride because my side won and was victorious is pretty much the exact opposite of what Jesus is trying to get at here. Um, that's exactly what the accuser is offering is that sense of oh. domination, that dominance, that victory, yeah. that power over others and invulnerability. And Jesus is like, nah, I'm good. That's not mm -hmm. what I'm about. It, it really misses a lot. Yeah. Uh, so if we could just, when, when the authors of these sacred texts give us a phrase or a word that isn't a metaphysical title or something like that, we should, if it's a metaphor, we should like take them at their, well, word. 
we haven't talked at all about whether this is like a the personification of essential rebellion against the divine or evil or whether that exists. This is not a metaphysical question. This is a, a question of mm-hmm. what is the experience Jesus is having apart from the like deeper possible moorings of what actually happened. Yeah. Yeah. This, this is Jesus' experience and whether there's like a, a conscious being having a conversation with him out in the desert, mm-hmm. it doesn't matter if that's what makes sense to you. If that's great picture that mm-hmm. that's fine. And there's meaning of what is happening here that is being highlighted based on the name that they're giving that being. Mm-hmm. Um, and, yep. and if you don't want to be- think of the conscious being and it's more just like wrestling with like these messages, false messages about himself, then he's trying to figure out who he is and what his role is. Great mm-hmm. message. Just like same. we do, Doesn't just matter. like we do in other spiritual disciplines, journaling and prayer and meditation. We all have met the false accuser mm-hmm. in those times, whether or not it was, yeah, yeah. whether or not a camera could re- capture it mm-hmm. or not. Yeah, yeah. I, I, <laughs> I wonder if just bullshitter might be a good alternative to false accuser. Like this guy's pretend he's he's misquoting and misapplying scripture. It's like the false self slash bullshitter. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that would be good for what we've talked about so far. But I think accuser is really important. Um, yeah, in some ways, like if you know Hebrew scriptures, Job comes to mind as is really the only other place that there are conversations Mm -hmm. uh, with the accuser. And it really is like in that story, it, the accuser is accusing Job of not actually being really faithful, just being like surface level, like, Oh, he's only serving you God because everything's good. And as soon as things get hard, you'll see he's, he's not accurate. He doesn't really care. Mm -hmm. It just benefits him. Yeah. Um, so uh, slandering his character and his commitment um, and then taking action, being more of an adversary as mm-hmm. we'll get to later and making bad stuff happen. Um, it's a beautifully wonderful long poem, but so there's this sense of it's about shame and not just uh, lies, but lies that are aimed at creating doubt, creating shame um, isolating people um, from each other and from God and making um, you more vulnerable to the bullshit that he then also wants to spout. Right. Yeah. And something that I was talking about this past week with someone else recently, and they pointed out the, their instinct to see God as their accuser mm. and to realize that, no, that's not God's role at all. That's the enemy's role. That's the devil's role. Um, and that really is a tectonic kind of shift. Yeah, if if someone's trying to use scripture even, as has been doing here, to instill shame, to accuse you, to make you think that you are worth less than you are, that's they're not they're not from God. They're from the other side. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So the uh, the other big one is, uh, I mean, instigator is simple enough. I want to talk about adversary. Yeah, adversary. And, is a and bit your more struggle to figure out how the hell to translate this. Satana. Yeah. Satana. Yep, that's Satana. Um, so from the Hebrew Hashatan, known more commonly in English as Satan. Um, notably in Hebrew, the Hashatan, it's the Satan. Mm-hmm. Um, so this is not a name. This is a, a title, the. The, the definite Hebrew, article, like the dude. Adversary, right. Yeah, it's the adversary is how I did it. Um, like something like a prosecutor could could work. I mean, their legal structure was not quite the same as ours, um, but <laughs> sure. Yeah. Uh, but it really is this sense of the person trying to have you lose. Um, so opponent mm-hmm. could work. Enemy might even work. Um, all, all of those things are kind of part of the meaning. And so that's why I landed on adversary. I feel like it's the closest thing I could find that kind of touches on all these different parts. Mm-hmm. Um but it's also a word that I don't use in everyday language. Uh, so that's why I'm not super settled on it. It, it feels like it's approaching a religious technical term. Um, yeah. On its own, but I just could, I couldn't f- find a better alternative. Just to read from footnote G, 
an enemy, but also someone accusing another of wrongdoing, whether truly or falsely. It's not just about pointing mm-hmm. out something bad, but actively moving to cause hardship. There's this sense of being the saboteur. Mm-hmm. Or getting revenge. Maybe, maybe the person really did the harmful thing that you're accusing them of, but like is is the jesus way to make sure mm-hmm. they pay for it i mean that sounds a lot more like uh hasatan's way hasatan yes yeah yeah which calls to mind a lot of the christian tradition that's their version of law and order is making sure that people do their time or or have to have some kind of like make sure they have a criminal record, make sure like they got to pay for it. If you do something wrong, you got to pay. Um, and right. again, this is not the voice of Christ. This is not the, the message that Jesus is teaching this, that you're yours on the side of the adversary when you're like really hitting that home, that point, like that penal fixation, that like punishment orientation for how to respond to things that do rupture dignity, shalom and life. Mm-hmm. That, all that calls forth a response and sometimes yeah. strong, but like the mm-hmm. penal punishment, punitive, the punitive response is like, that's the energy of the adversary, not of yeah. Jesus. Yep. Yeah. And it's these assumptions that a lot of people share, like you should be ashamed. You should pay uh, for, have you, have you no shame? Yeah. Um, and we don't even realize we're doing it. There was one time, one of my Facebook friends shamed another one of my Facebook friends for, uh, trying to do, I don't remember. It was like, they were trying to get a project started and we're like saying, Hey, if you want to contribute financially to this project, then you get a copy of it when it's done. Um, and my other Facebook friend commented on it and was like, have you no shame? (laughs) Literally. And so I challenged them in a private message and I was like, yeah, shame is not a good weapon to use ever. Don't do that. Um, and they're like, Oh, I, I wasn't, I don't like shame either. I'm like, you literally asked him if he had shame. <laughs> we do it without even realizing we're doing it. It's just so automatic. It's part of our culture. Yeah. It's the, yeah. And it takes and like, real intentionality to, to turn it upside down and go the other way, which is exactly what Jesus is trying to get us to do, but it's hard. Yeah, I think that idiom is interesting when you're asking if somebody has no shame. Like, I've caught myself using that as well. Certainly saying, you know, a given, um, let's just say if a political party were trying to stop an investigation into an attack on their political opponents sometime in January, I would say, have you no shame? And what I mean is, don't you have a damn conscience? Like, I don't need you to feel like squirmy and hate yourself and have loathing, but like, do you? Did your conscience like not chime in and be like, dude? <laughs> yeah. So we need different language to capture that it's just so we can push shame straight off the cliff. Mm-hmm. Shame is, well, in some ways, shame is just a normal human experience. Like any time that we realize, like a child who's corrected by their parent, the instant reaction is shame. Mm-hmm. Um, the sense of, I don't belong, I'm Ooh. bad which is normal. That's supposed to happen. And then the parent's response isn't to then say, yes, you should be ashamed. If the more ashamed you are, the more you'll learn. And then you won't do it again next time. That's the shame is speaking again as a therapist. It, it only ever demotivates. It's never useful as a motivator. And the way to fix that rupture to actually motivate towards behaving in the way you want your child to behave is to stick with the correction for their behavior and make it very clear that you in relationship are still too good, that you, they still belong, that you still care. So, I'm with you. Yeah, that it's yeah, exactly. You're, we're together. I'm with you. And then, and then it can shift from I'm bad to that thing I did wasn't the thing you wanted me to do. And I will change that behavior in the future because I know that we're solid. Mm-hmm. Shifts mm-hmm. it from shame to guilt or I don't even know if it always has to be guilt just learning I want to jump to the next word that stuck out to me it's in verse 10 with a footnote h 
Then Jesus answered, go away, adversary. Scripture says you will submit to the Lord who is your God and serve him and no one else. Submit. That's usually the word worship is there, right? Yeah, that's the traditional way. Um, and I wrestled with this one for quite a bit. Um, did some flipping around into the Hebrew Bible and the Hebrew there and trying to figure out what is this actually getting at? Yeah, when I think of worship, it conveys praise and sort of cultic reverence. Uh, adoration is a word to use. Uh, mm-hmm. the, the Latin word for worship is is where we get adoration, adore. Yeah. yeah. And these are all like great, cool, good things, ways of responding to the divine and engaging in facing and participating in that which is sacred. Absolutely. Uh, and sometimes that word, because it's one of those, it has become a religious technical term. Mm-hmm. It captures, you know, my, I'm, I'm imagining um, people genuflecting or raising their hands with music playing. There's all these ways I understand worship that it's yeah. like, actually, like, what's the... You're tipping your hat to your uh, ecclesial tradition. Yeah, certainly. Um, <laughs> of my past, anyway. Yeah, like, th- we're all bringing what we understand that word worship to mean. Um, mm-hmm. You know, just bowing. And, like, these are all, like, cool yeah. possible responses but uh it it just it's hard to be present to the texts it feels like it's an obstacle to me to bring all that in so finding a different sense of what the energy of the the original word is is i i'm very appreciative of it yeah it was fun to figure out like some of what you're describing of that like adoration element I think mm-hmm. it's not even part of this word. Oh, interesting. The English word worship comes from an older English worthship. It's it's yes. literally acknowledging, highlighting the the high worth of something or someone. It's like valuing, highly valuing and like mm. declaring it bigly. Yeah, it's just yes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and which is a good thing to do and I think it's the perfect thing to do toward God. It's just, it has nothing to do with what the word is here. Yeah. Um, so part of my digging into it was going back and looking, where does this show up in the Hebrew Bible and the tra- Greek translation of the Hebrew Bible and all that. And what I found was that it's being, it's connected with these places in the Hebrew Bible where it's talking about like, fear of the Lord is the kind of traditional translation. And that has oh, been yeah. something that has been puzzling to me. And I've kept coming back to the question of what does fear of the Lord mean? So my professors and my um, Bible degree days and stuff would talk about like fear, you know, yure is the Hebrew word. Fear means fear. But when it's in the phrase yure of the Lord, it doesn't really mean fear. It's like a whole phrase together that means like reverence for God like trying to yeah. trying really hard to force it to work. And I get it because otherwise it's like, this feels gross. Being told that we're supposed to be afraid of God feels really gross. Perfect love drives out fear. Yeah. It's pretty con- contrary to just about everything else that is explicitly taught. Um, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. <laughs> Yeah, it says yeah, else. back in Proverbs. But it's, not the, it's not the body or the end. Yeah, yeah, and I've and I've personally tried to wrestle with that exact phrase. Like, what does that mean? And I've like kind of tried to figure out, like, well, maybe I can kind of like think of it this way or that way. And yeah, um, yeah. and but realizing, okay, so it's not about the emotion fear. Just like this isn't about an emotion of adoration. And yeah, bring your full amygdala to God. Um, <laughs> it's not, yeah, it. yeah this. I, so the word, uh, that's one of the harder ones for me to pronounce. Um, in Greek, literally means to like bow down in front of someone. Oh, like, pro- like prostrate. Yeah. So I, it could say you will bow to the Lord or bow down to the Lord or something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, 
And then like, you know, stuff that I was looking at, it's like even specifically envisioning, not just like kneel, but like upright. It's like literally that sense of like, you are flat on the ground with your face on the floor. Mm-hmm. Um, kind of. So it, this isn't just like, I respect you, but like full submission. Like I'm, mm-hmm. I am beneath your authority. Mm-hmm. And, and it might even be a little scary. Like if you're coming up to a king in, in this time period and like, I'm submitting to you, like they have absolute power to do whatever they want. They could kill you on the spot and no one would blink an eye. Um, so there might be some fear involved in that, but again, not the point. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, the point is you are demonstrating, showing visibly um, or maybe metaphorically in this, this chapter, but the sense of like, you're in charge and I am submitting to that. It makes better sense of, there's another line in, so that Matthew's the first of four um, books of stories about Jesus. The fourth one by a guy, traditionally by a guy named John. Um, There's a story at the very end, Jesus is resurrected and he's hanging out with his disciples and they worship him. Mm. That's a like that's never quite made sense to me. I know we're getting far away from Matthew here, but it's like Jesus's divinity was never part of his ministry. Full mm-hmm. stop. Like he, there's a way in which he is representing or participating in what Yahweh is doing, um, but like he's not going around like whispering to people, "I'm actually the second person of the Trinity and worthy of worship." In the same, the same worship that you do at the temple like that's not the punchline that's it's not the gospel um right and so having this moment where because he's risen from the dead by the power of the holy spirit they suddenly apprehend his being of the same substance as the father i <laughs> it's just like yeah they and he's not the first person way. that was dead and then wasn't anymore yeah right. um they're like Lazarus, who actually wrote the fourth gospel, I think. We'll get to that in a couple of years <laughs> in this project. Um, he comes back from the dead in a different way than Jesus does. Very different. Um, hmm. And there's other, there's kids in this book that are raised from the dead. There's a servant, right? Yeah. Peter's uh, mom. Yeah. Peter. Oh, no, she was just healed and not raised from the dead. But yeah. But it's the same chapter as a, a girl is, is raised. From the Nobody dead. thinks to... Yeah. Nobody thinks to treat someone from back from the dead, including Jesus, who has the Jesus's own like resurrection isn't coming back from the dead. It's like something totally different. Anyway, I'm getting into the weeds here. Suffice to say, worship is not the coherence narratively. It's not the coherent word for that. Submit does make good sense, though. Mm-hmm. Like, and they submitted to him. They understood you're the first human of the new creation like the divine is blowing a new kind of magic into the world and the person in front of us is resonant with that and is the template for our own i mean i'm getting i don't they didn't think all that but they're they are responding to him as if he has a kind of authority worthy of deep 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 submission this is god's anointed the son of david who is Mm -hmm. delivering us uh, and inaugurating Jubilee. However, you, I'm like just shooting off every firework here to capture the energy of the moments, but submission makes way more sense than like, OMG, it's the G of that. Like, right. So thank you. Thank you for making that moment in one of my favorite sections of the sacred library finally make some damn sense. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it, it felt like, that this part of my brain that I didn't realize was devoting energy to processing this question for the last two decades uh, is can rest now. It, it's found peace. Yeah. Go in and have your Sabbath rest. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, even again, in the context of this verse here, like it, if you worship, bow down and worship me, uh, you will submit to the Lord. You will worship the Lord of God and serve him. Like Jesus in response to the false accuser brings in the, idea of serving there's a reason for that because the idea of the greek word that we normally do worship with is about submitting to their authority like Mm -hmm. 
that involves serving. Um, it's not just about, hey, you're great. Yeah. So the next thing I want to hit on here is giving a rich connection. That's uh, in verse 14. Mm-hmm. Uh, Matthew's talking about Jesus did these things, and it uh, here's how it connects the dots to his tradition, sacred scriptures, Isaiah specifically. Usually it's fulfilled. What? Yeah. Explain yourself. Yeah, I think <laughs> I do it here, give a rich connection in other places where it's using that same word. Um, I do like giving a fuller meaning, uh, something like that. And that, I mean, that really is the idea of the, even the English word fulfill. Um, it's, and if you look in the, the, the resources that I'm using to do the translating, it lists two possible words for the Greek word here, fulfill or fill. It's really, even the, like I said, the English word is fulfill, fill it all the way full, bring it to completion, bring it, fill it out, like give it its full uh, meaning here. Yeah, yeah. Like, and I think just over time, it's become one of those religious technical terms when it's in a yes. context about prophecy, prophecy and stuff that has made it just like there was prediction that happened magically. And then a hundred years later, the thing that was predicted happened. The prophecy has been fulfilled. Like we know that they were right. <laughs> like it's, it's a good uh, plot device in Harry Potter and it has no place in biblical interpretation. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah. I hear you. Yeah, that fulfill, like it, um, here is the enfleshment or here, here's a, a, a place charged with the, the heart of this text. And rather than being like a hoop jumped through or something meticulously foreordained, it's like, and mm-hmm. here's how the energies of these, this moment and this memory braid together and, and fill, fill them out fully, like deepen with meaning yeah i think it's really connected with kind of what we were talking about for chapter one with the genealogy this Mm -hmm. is giving a sense of continuity this is jesus is not doing a brand new thing that's starting something from scratch this is the continuation of the work that has been happening between god and people for ever and these references back into Isaiah and other Hebrew scriptures is trying to highlight that this is part of what has been happening for a long time. Yeah. Like history in the Hebrew imagination is neither rawly cyclical nor mm-hmm. rawly linear. Mm-hmm. Uh, a lot of, Historians of religion say that, you know, one of the big innovations of Judaism was a comparative linearity of history, like history is going somewhere. They believe in eschatology, a future um, resolution, but really it's, it's the, this weird synthesis of those two. Uh, It's, it's both cyclical and linear. It's um, maybe Mm -hmm. more of a helix, uh, yeah kind of maybe like a series of of cycles uh, yeah yeah like the, it braids it loops back and forth it echoes it um it does history never repeats itself but it often rhymes is actually a pretty freaking handy way to understand uh how the hebrew testaments and the stories and memories and arguments we have in the christian scriptures relate to one another like mm-hmm yeah, it's not a sequence of hoop jumping, but it's listen for these deep things popping into new dimension in the Jesus experience. Yeah. Oh, Jesus, that sounds like some sort of tacky Christian nightclub. Oh, gosh. The um, Jesus experience. <laughs> that's right. Um, uh, yeah, because I mean, the Hebrew culture is not fully what we think of as Eastern when, when we say that we mean like the culture of Southeast Asia. Mm -hmm. Um, But it's certainly not our Western linear analytical way of thinking of things like we have in the United States now. Um, Mm -hmm. If anything, it's closer to the Southeast Asian starting points probably. 
but like you're saying somewhere in the middle i think a good way to picture it for me is comparing like every year the seasons come right we have spring and then summer and then fall and then winter and then spring and then summer and then fall and winter and more or less the same things happen especially as in this culture you're an agrarian society where things are based on the weather and how that influences crop growth and planting seasons and harvests and like you just go through the same cycle every year Um, but over time it's different for the person who starts as a child experiencing those seasons and progresses through their life until they're an elder um, Mm -hmm. experiencing those seasons and so in this very same way like things are really familiar like i've seen this before this keeps happening i know generally what to expect each year is a little different the weather is a little different Mm -hmm. um the events are a little different but but there's definite parallel every single year Mm -hmm. Um, continuity and discontinuity yeah but it develops over time too and it's not precisely the same and i think something similar to that is is kind of the perspective here all right so jesus usually says repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand Mm -hmm. here you've got transform your minds because the divine reign is almost here yeah cool and uh this should feel familiar uh we talked about transform your minds before as the alternative to repent uh, because that's literally what the word means like change your mind or maybe even getting really more literal it's like go into the mind that comes after um meta is for after and metanoia and the reason it feels familiar is because jesus is now all of a suddenly taking up john's message um and it's word for word the exact same thing that john said in the Mm. previous chapter Hmm. Uh, and that's significant like there's something really clear happening here that uh, it's trying to point out the the baton has been passed in the relay between john and jesus good and in this case i like just hearing his debut line repents again having this energy of like stop sinning stop breaking the rules like jesus's debut line is not stop breaking the rules Mm -hmm. (laughs) like yeah and it also would make almost no sense in the context if that were the message yeah this is specifically in response to what we just read about his time in the wilderness with the false accuser oh mm -hmm. um Mm -hmm. so the the false accuser the the adversary is really putting forth the basic assumptions that that the general population is carrying so the the idea that like you should pursue power that we should overthrow the oppressors by force kind of an idea um mm-hmm. that the, the the way that is this hebrew scriptures are being used by the false accuser here are familiar as we go through the rest of matthew this is the way that the pharisees are using scripture that the other religious authorities are using scripture the way that people are used to hearing it used and jesus's responses are trying to like flip all of those things on their head completely like no you got to change how you're thinking about this you got to change how you're living in response to this like we need to be different because that does not work that does not get us closer to god it doesn't get us closer to what you think you're getting you closer to you got to transform your minds because the divine reign is almost here the time is running short so last thing i want to hit on here is uh demons it feels like this episode, we've been hitting on a few different things, like the question of the personal nature of the accuser with Jesus. Um, are they real or not? What's the experience going on here? And we're just saying, like, look, I want to just make sure the words are actually capturing the energy of what's what's happening and not let our preconceived notions mm-hmm. um, overdraft this <laughs> yeah. this moment and same thing goes with worship where it's like no worship is a great good thing it's just not the word for this right now it's not at all what's being talked about um i feel like there's this that same parallel here that we, we need to talk about when it comes to um demons like question isn't whether or not demons exist or are real or pos- what possession means and is like we're just talking about <laughs> how to be faithful to these these words Mm-hmm. Help, help me out yeah so that's one of the reasons i, I left it as demons um mm-hmm. 
It's from diamonia in the Greek. And it's one of those where it's kind of taking the Greek word and just putting it in English letters. But I don't know that there's a better way. There's not a better alternative, I don't think. Um, mm-hmm. The word in the original means something along the lines of like a Greek demigod, like these kind of like <laughs> wild <laughs> spirits that are like roaming around. Um, yeah. And so think like Medusa, like this is, uh, oh, man. but it's also used, I think in a really metaphorical way, um, the thinking later in, in the Bible, the, in Timothy, or is yeah, it Timothy? We talked about, don't have a, a, a spirit of timidity. Like oh, there's yeah. this sense of these are metaphoric for how we experience things the things that are like kind of coming up in us unprompted Mm -hmm. um that feels like where is this even coming from i don't want it like but somehow it's part of my experience i think it's all being captured there and that's not to say that if you think that this is a conscious entity floating around that you just can't see because it's kind of in another like parallel dimension like that you're wrong maybe like i'm not trying to tell you not to believe that but it means more than that. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's actually and- much more, it's much more intimate. Like you're talking about primal human energies and impulses, both out of our interior life. And also like with some of the, the Greek gods, these things that are um, representative of the mm-hmm. darker human capacities that are meta human. Um, apart yeah. from whether there's a celestial mojo going on there. Um, that's like, these human impulses that go, what is that doing there in me? Mm-hmm. Or uh, both, both yeah. just from this our own. In, in, here. In t- yeah. 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 And like that, that impulse of, yeah, we should crucify him, crucify him. Cru-. Like there's that sort of like crowd energy mm-hmm. that can happen. That is demonic. Doesn't mean that there's yeah. a, a sentient being hacking people. Um, but it does feel beyond like we need language that reaches in that direction to because we recognize there's there is a um there's something fiercer at work than our our language knows what to do with (laughs) yeah yeah which is i mean all language is metaphor it's all representing something that's not the word itself um and some of that's more obvious than others. And I think this is mm-hmm. one of the ones where it's really obvious that this is trying to capture something that we don't really have an easy way to capture. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And, and like even taking that further, we think the reason I didn't use possessed is one that's not there. Uh, and I think of, well, there's not even a word there. It's, it's, just, it's one oh, word. It's this, this whole phrase haunted by demons is, is one word. Oh, uh, and so the the most literal translation would be demonized. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, and so we're trying to fill in the gaps of like, what does that mean? Um, so I could have just gone demonized and that would be fine. Um, again, it just, I think it would be more confusing than anything else to put it that way, but possessed yeah. by demons. I think that's just wrong. Um, yeah. Because, because yeah. not just like, because possessed by is a worse word than haunted by but because of the picture that I have of like a conscious entity entering my body and all of a sudden my brain goes offline and theirs is taking control of it. Like, like the zombie bite. Yeah. Yeah. It's just like, that's not, there's nothing to indicate that that is what it means. And I think that's, that gets infused later from other cultural superstitions, but, mm-hmm. but it's important to be able to like, I, I, I'm glad you did use the word demons here because I think it's important to step into it's at least phenomenological language of the ancients describing their, their observation of what Jesus was confronting. Mm -hmm. Jesus was confronting experiences of um, the edges of human experience and their language for that was, yeah, a Greek demigod um, having expressing some energy through a person demonization Mm -hmm. Um, and why it, it would be like for all of my like weird like way of trying to explore that a couple minutes ago. <laughs> it's like that's my own thing. I, there's no need to like re to 
um, shoehorn that back into the text just to acknowledge this is the phenomenology of how they were touching this experience and that Jesus was confronting Mm -hmm. feels, feels respectful. Yeah. And, and I think too, like, what are we talking about here? And the way to best way to figure that out is by looking kind of where else does this show up? And it's talking about like people with illnesses that are making them like fall over into like fire and having have seizures and, and the word that is gets used for Jesus dealing with this is healing them. (laughs) Like, Mm. um, you know, there are stories where it uses a more a word more like banish or throw out or the more traditional cast out uh, yes. uh, of of demons. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's but it's not the only way it gets used. And I think trying to hold them all together is the best way to try to get a sense of what is this talking about. Yeah, and if we if we try if as conventional translations try to overly harmonize that and just normalizing the the historic notion of a celestial disembodiments animating someone mm-hmm. um like a translator of the sacred script does not need to try too hard to harmonize all that like let it be a little bit more like this is phenomenological language let it be a bit more sloppy in particular mm-hmm. yeah yeah this was not written by a bunch of 21st century americans and trying to make it sound like it was is is problematic well that about wraps it up for this week Uh, we are both really thankful for your continued presence on this journey and this leg of it the easiest way to support found in translation is to leave us a rating or review in your podcast player of choice it makes it easier for more people to find the show Second best way to support the show is to become a sponsor. You can do that for just $5 a month. There is a link in the show notes for how to get started on that. When you do, uh, you're not just supporting us. You're also getting comment access on the translations Google Docs. So you can be interacting with uh, both of the Brandons here as well as all the uh, other supporters out there. You also get the satisfaction that you are supporting exceptionally nerdy independent media. So go ahead and switch over to the show notes and click on that link. The music you're listening to is by Kevin McLeod at Incompetech.com. Found in Translation was produced by Perry.fm on Chinook land. Say goodbye, Brandon. Bye.